excuse me. Isaiah 55, 8 says, <clears throat> For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Please turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Now we embarked on a series of messages weeks ago to help us to renew our minds, to renew our minds from man's natural way of thinking and to renew our minds to God's ways of thinking. And we find out those are very difficult and different, different things. Now, the series of messages are not linking message. In other words, the messages are not pieces of one message. Rather, the message are loosely linked by a common theme. Therefore, for several months, we're going to be looking at some of these things where God's ways are different than our ways. But we may jump off from time to time, and it won't be a big deal as God leads. So far, so far, we first learned that we must be committed to trust and obey God's thoughts and ways. We also learned that death brings life, and the storms of life are good for a Christian. This morning we'll be learning that God teaches us that the method of receiving, everybody likes to receive and get, don't they? Is wrought through the act of giving. All right, Luke 6.38, let's read. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, unto, into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So today's message is give to receive. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us today um, that you'd use my voice the best way you can to get the message of God to the people to help them to understand this principle of giving. It's a wonderful principle. It's so different from the world. And Father, it's hard for us as humans, as in our nature, to understand some of the things that you have for us. But help us to see it clearly. Help us, help each one to be helped today, Lord God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today, you know, we live in a society that is obsessed with getting something for nothing. And I can prove that to you. There's free samples, phone apps, survey gifts, the infamous BOGO, buy one, get one free. <clears throat> get a free drink with a purchase of whatever, loyalty points, free vaccinations, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> paid to get vaccinations, and lottery vaccinations. If any of you think that these companies are promoting God's principle of giving so that they will receive more, well... I have a psychiatrist you might want to see. These folks are doing just the opposite. They are competing for your business and creating false loyalty. All these gimmicks are set around getting more business from you. They're all about the numbers. <clears throat> they are all about taking your business from others and bringing it to them. And it's all about self 
And if the numbers stop driving business and profit to them, they take the stale deal off the pot and they cook up a new fresh one. But you say, I cherry pick those deals. I don't buy anything over the deals. I don't, I don't buy just to earn points. I don't just buy because it's 50% off. Well, even the most discerning of us all fall into these traps. You go to the restaurant, probably speaking about men here, <laughs> and really you got your heart set on the big burger that costs $4.50. But you see the fish is two for six. So you get that because it's a better deal. You end up eating something less preferred than what you want. You paid $1.50 more than you planned and you're miserable from overeating. You know, there are many people who use the free stuff pretty wisely. And if that were the case, if, if that was the case for the majority of society, those businesses would go belly up. They're called loss leaders. They know what they're doing. These people are really good at what they do. However, it's just the opposite. Most people fall for the free and end up buying more than they need. The greatest of these traps is the timeshare trap. I'm going to explain this to you because I don't want you to get caught in it. Now, I'm not going to tell you that timeshares may be a good deal, but I've never could find all the answers in it. And I don't like to buy something I don't, I don't under, really fully understand. Now, people will, you will be offered several hundred dollars of true value, some of it in cash free amusement park tickets, free lodging, etc. Just to go and listen to a two-hour presentation with no obligations but to listen. But these people are professional salespeople in the worst sense. First, they give you a free meal. Then they hook you up with a personal guide, one that can best connect with you, and ethnicity of greatest comfort is considered with your chosen guide, but regardless, each guide is trained to make you feel like they are just like you. They are to make a personal connection somehow, some way, to build a report and trust with you. And they're pretty good at it. They'll, they'll find somebody, oh, I have an uncle who lives in, you know, they, they'll make these connections. That's the first thing they do to make you feel comfortable with them. They're very usually very nice people. Then they pump you, pump up with their marketing presentation, and you'll be in awe of all the places worldwide they will promise as future destinations for your desires. If you tell them you don't like to travel much and just like rustic cabins and hunting, they will have every top cabin hunting spot available for you. They'll pull it up. They have an answer for everything. No matter what you say, how you do it, they've got it. They will entertain you with their fair and funny speeches. They will demonstrate to you how vacationing is a need of life, that it is essentially good for you and your family. They make it hard to argue with any of their points. They will present the negatives of conventional vacationing, perhaps highlighting the uncleanness and low quality standards compared to ownership vacationing that provides extensive places, amenities, and cleanness, all at a price that is less cost in the long run than how you normally vacation. Besides all that, they show you how the timeshare can be gifted to your children or used to help friends with a vacation or sell back some of your time to make some extra money. After your guide tours you through their top-notch vacation lodge on the premises, showing you pristine, exquisite suites and lodge amenities, they bring you back to a table in a large negotiating room with at many other tables with other guests in there. You're all kind of together at separate tables. 
Their job is to put words in your mouth by asking questions like, how nice the place is. How can you, you won't argue with it. How vacationing is, is important, you, you know, you won't argue with that. How owning and securing your vacation is best, and so on and so on. They will hit you with a monthly cost that they have determined for you that is affordable and guarantees that you will vacation regularly, which is good for you, like it's a no-brainer. They got you, you know, get you agreeing, get you a sign on that dotted line. Now, I've been to several of these. I brought Tim and Esther to one because I wanted them to experience it, okay? When you tell your guide no, and this is usually much longer than the amount of time they said it would take, and you're ready and feel right to leave, he takes your paperwork back like you are done, but they are not done. He takes your paperwork back with him, and he brings back with him the sales, I call him the sales ape, to come over and apply pressure by questioning every reason you don't want to buy. This person will have great negotiating power and will offer you customized and large discounts. They will not tell you what the cash cost is. They have to if you ask them, and I've done this. They want to get you on payments, okay? So I tell them, I said, well, what's it cost just to buy it outright? Because you're in ownership. I mean, you get a deed and everything. And then they give you that amount, which you might go, boom, for one week every year for so many years. And then you ask them for the interest rate, and they have to tell you. But they'll... Most people never get to this point. Interest rates have up, upwards around 20-some percent. Now, he is not the personal, easygoing guide you just came from. They will put you in the position to crumble and buy or force you to take an angry stand and say, no, this is where it gets really uncomfortable. It makes it miserable for you. And they paint you as the aggressor and then the victim, all of a sudden the ape is like, <gasps> really? You know, <laughs> it's, they're very good at it. But in the midst of the final sales negotiations, you're likely to hear a bell go off and the announcement of a couple who bought a timeshare, not knowing all the truth or buckled to the pressure and bought in. At such a bell, the whole group will stand up and clap for them, like instantaneous. Bell goes off and, and the, your guide, he may be in the middle of a sentence, they all clap. It's really creepy. It is creepy. <laughs> but you should clap too because that sucker just paid for all the free meals and gifts of all those who did not buy. And remember, the majority does not buy. You are in the majority. So you end up spending a half a day of your vacation to get a free meal, some cash, park tickets, maybe vacation room vouchers, and a lot of stress or perhaps you came out with a new timeshare payment for the rest of your life. The world wants to get you on committed payments. If you're not able to pay them, then you'll have to work more for them. If that's not enough, they have credit cards for you at 28% interest or more. They own your time, your future, and they want to own your assets. What is worse, they have kept you from God. This is the worst part of it. They've kept you from God. You don't have time for church. You don't have money to give. And you are not growing as a Christian. You lose your joy and purpose in life and the devil knows it. Now I rambled quite a bit to prove this, but the world's philosophy is not to give. 
but to take. To manufacture your desires, to control your life, to fill you with fluff, to be half full, to never be satisfied, always wanting more, and owning you and moving you away from God. I'm exposing what the world does. We tend to think that when we give, we lose something. As selfish beings, our inclination is to keep rather than to give. But Luke 6.38 says something different. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. You know, the word good here has the idea of being advantageous. The phrase pressed down and shaken together is a picture of condensing something to hold more, like you put some flour in and pack it down and put some more in, or something that's loose, you shake it and it comes down. God wants to fill us pressed down, shaken together. It's the picture of just being completely full. And then the phrase running over is to overflow. Complete satisfaction of being full. I can't eat another bite. A blessed life is not based on temporal things. The phrase, shall men give unto your bosom, is a picture of God using random people to give you things. This is interesting. You know, all the niceties of life in America, the high wages, I mean, we make among the highest wages, the free deals that come, they all come flowing at the expense of fierce heathen competition. The power and carnal appetite. That's where it all comes from. And sad to say, I see Christians who have developed carnal appetites whose bellies are never full, always wanting. Proverbs 27, 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. You'll never be satisfied in the things of the world. You'll always want more. I, I remember a story of a multimillionaire um, who was going through these turnstiles. You know, he, you walk through, and it kind of turns through, and he's seen a penny there, and he almost was killed by trying to get that penny. Folks, will never be satisfied with this world. But with Christ, we will be satisfied. Acts 20, 35, Jesus makes it clear, I have showed you all things. How that so laboring, you ought to support the weak. Not buy a new house, buy a new whatever. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. No matter what you do and how you do it in life, if you have the heart that you want to give, I'll tell you, you're going to find a blessed life. There's nothing like being able to give. This afternoon, I want to share with you three aspects of giving. The first aspect of giving is to understand the character of God. First of all, we must realize that God owns everything. Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The fact of the matter is everyone owes everything to God. 
Despite that, though, God still chooses to give to his creation. It's at the heart of God to give. 2 Peter 1.3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Psalm 84.11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, here are four areas that God gives to mankind. First, he gives salvation. This is the foundational gift. It is the gift by which all other giving flows from God. If you refuse this gift, you're left with whatever your lifetime has and whatever it will give you by time and chance. And that is even the mercy of God. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We're looking at God's character of a giver here. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, with Ben and Destiny, I just happen to know that they've been through a big house project. And Ben's mom and dad's been over there a lot helping out, right? And getting things done. You know, it was a lot of giving on their part. It was, you know, I was asking about certain things. So, well, we, you know, we spent a lot of time over there doing that. But that's a joy to them. That is, you probably don't realize it may have been hard. It might have been difficult. They may have had to sacrifice some things. But giving, there's a great joy in him. That's all he, he talks about, man, <laughs> is, you know, the house project and this and that. He's just excited about helping. That's, that's what God wants to put in, into us. And, of course, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have not given your life fully and wholly to Christ, you have dishonored God's gift. You foolishly have left your life in the power of your own hands and you have counted the blood of Jesus as no effect and will not receive any other gift from God other than the circumstantial benefits of living under God's creation for the amount of days you have and then you will inherit eternal hell for rejecting God's son. Patty and I were discussing child rearing and how as parents we need to make the decisions for our children and we need to not let the children decide for themselves, for themselves, because the parents know much better than the children. If the children choose their life, man, it'll be full of candy and stomach aches and maybe getting hit by a car. That's called parenting. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Do you trust yourself more than God to know what is best for you? Salvation is acknowledging that at your will, you have sinned. You created a situation of eternal hellfire for you without any escape of your own. You acknowledge that your only escape is Jesus who died to take away your sin and then wisely gave back your foolish self-run life to his complete control. That's what salvation is. Should you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gives you the gift 
of security. Here's the next gift. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Romans 8.38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, or add anything you want into that, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And our security is not based on our ability, but on God's immutability which means he never changes. He can be trusted. Unlike us, we can't be trusted. We make mistakes. We do stupid stuff to each other. But he will perform what he said he would do. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You want to know why Israel's still here? Because of God, not because of them. They have, have every reason not to be here. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. We could trust him. He gives us security. He also gives us sustenance. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But not only does he supply our physical needs, but he also nourishes our soul through his word. Psalm 119.116, Uphold me according to thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Jeremiah 15.16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And in seasons of distress, which we will all have, God gives strength. Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. He gives salvation, he gives security. He sustains, and he gives satisfaction. Something the world always will come short of. Psalm 145, 16, Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Psalm 21, 2, Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm 16, 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Why do we want to put our life in our own hands? So first of all, we see that the character of God is that of giving. Okay, God is a giver. We are his when we're born again. We're a child of his. We are, we are made to be givers. That's where our satisfaction in life will be. The word give in our text is a command. Here's the second reason. And it's expressed in the present tense, making it a continual command. Give, and it shall be given unto you. When we give with the right motives... We find that giving is not a drudge, but a delight. 
And there's two factors that compel us to give as God commanded. Our love for God and our outlook on life. We must obey God's command out of a love for him. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Whomever I love the most, I will seek to please the most. We know that in our earthly lives and our earthly people. If I love the most, if I love me the most, I will be mostly concerned about me and seek to please myself. But if I love God the most, I will joy in pleasing him and it will not be grievous. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter and six other disciples went back to their old way of life and fishing. Peter says, I go fishing, and the, disciples could, the other disciples go with them. After a fruitless night of fishing, Jesus calls from the shore to cast their net on the other side. And when they did, what a catch they had. And perhaps a remembrance of the same thing happening at the beginning of knowing Jesus. Because there was a fishing scene there at the beginning as well. This is the second time. And I'll bet he did it just to remind them. Jesus prepared a meal for them and preached a message. This is his last message to them. A message that he could have preached about a, a bunch of different things. But he came out to preach one foundational message, particularly aimed at Peter. Three times Jesus would ask Peter, Lovest thou me? If you love him, Everything else falls in line. Loving God changes who we are. From a self-seeker to a God-seeker and from a self-pleaser to a God-pleaser. Mark 12, 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Loving God changes what I do. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Loving God changes why I do. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we, ju we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. And rose again. Obedience to God's commandment is contingent on my love for him and it's also contingent, as I said, on my outlook or my viewpoint. A heavenly outlook lets us look past the gathering of earthly pleasures and riches to looking for heavenly treasures that lay ahead. It's a whole different viewpoint. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we're, you know, we've got our minds set on what we want to do here we're not how many and, and don't answer this because I probably know what the answer is how many of you have a little book of of like a like a bank book of heaven of all the things that you're passing ahead and that's that's all what you're after and that's what you're trying to achieve in life Colossians 3 1 if ye then be risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God Set your affections on the things above, 
not on the things of earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Matthew 6.19, lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. How many knows about that? If you have a barn and had it for a while, you go out and find a lot of rusty things. And where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, Paul, who suffered many things in life, knew this very well when he penned for us in Acts 20, beginning in verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my, my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. John Wesley had an annual salary of 30 pounds. He lived on 28 pounds and gave the remaining two pounds to the Lord. Now, you would say that's not tithing. But let's read on. Let's look at the heart. When his income doubled the next year, he maintained his living expenses at 28 pounds and gave all his increase, 32 pounds, to the Lord. You get your heart right, your giving will be right. It's to his joy. He was adamant about laying treasures in heaven. He was famous for the saying, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but his standard of giving. Givers understand the character of God. They obey the command of God. And lastly, in the message, they trust in the care of God. Giving is not only an act of obedience to God. It is also where we find our security in God. The world finds their security in their finances, don't they? But God wants us to find our security in him. Luke 6.38 does not say give and it might be given unto you. It says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Those who faithfully give do it because they know they can trust the promise of God. Be it known that all giving is not monetary. Sometimes we have other resources, one of which is our time. This may be even a harder thing to give. Matthew 6, 25 through 33 tells us that he fully takes care of lesser things in life than man. And that we can be assured that he'll take care of us. He concludes in the scripture in Matthew 6.31, Therefore, take no thought. Before that, he says he takes care of the lilies of the field. He, takes, you know, he knows every hair on her head. He knows all these things and he's, he's watching over everything. But he says, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now I'm going to end with a story of a young man who you might be familiar with, Hudson Taylor. 
who knew that if he wanted to be a successful missionary in a foreign field, he would have to learn to fully depend on God through prayer. During his medical school in London, he worked as an assistant to Dr. Hardy, a busy man who told Taylor to remind him when his pay was due. Taylor committed this to prayer, believing God would remind Dr. Hardy to pay him when his salary was due, and this would build his faith in prayer. Better make sure God has you to do that. <laughs> One day, Taylor's salary was due, and he was left with only a half a crown by the end of the week. He said nothing to Dr. Hardy, but prayed instead. That Sunday evening found Taylor, as it did every Sunday evening, visiting homes in London, visiting homes in London to share the gospel. A poor man approached him and asked him if he could visit his dying wife and pray for her. Taylor found the man's wife lying in a room surrounded by hungry children and with a hungry 36-hour-old baby wailing by her side. Moved by the scene of poverty, Taylor thought he would get, gladly give them a shilling and a half if only his half crown was not a single coin. Taylor told them that their Heavenly Father would provide for them and prayed for them, but his conscience troubled him. He could not bring himself to pray for them and withhold his money, even though it was the last coin he owned. You can see what a terrible state we are in, sir. If you can help us, for God's sake, do, the poor man exclaimed. Recalling Jesus' words, give to him that asketh of thee, Taylor reached into his pocket and gave him the half crown for medicine and food. Taylor was broke, but his heart was filled with joy. Have you ever been there? I hope you've been there sometime. This is what that feeling of joy is. It might cost you a whole lot. The next morning, Taylor found an envelope in the mail. It had no letter or name on it and contained a pair of new kid gloves and a half sovereign coin. This was worth five times the amount he had given away. Taylor knew that God had outgiven his gift. Folks, God wants to get a hold of our hearts. He wants to change it. See, we want to go out and we want to get things and we want to earn things and we want to have things and do things. God wants us to go that we might give, to get that we might give, and that he'll give again. It's amazing what he will do. And i got to ask you the question, what is it that makes people full and joyous and happy? It's not things. Some of the richest people are the most miserable people who can do more things, who even have time in their hands. And then you'll find somebody who has very little and they seem to be the happiest person in the world. See, happiness doesn't come from all those things. Jesus is trying to tell us and show us that it's through the ability to, to give that we can receive more, that we can give, and that's how he fills our joy in life. It takes a while to get there sometimes. But that needs to be your intent in life. If it is not, you're always going to be half full, always wanting, never having enough. 
and perhaps just struggling to get by. What a shame that would be. With heads bowed and eyes closed and a pianist coming to play. This is not a message to wring people out of their money. <laughs> you know, God will provide. This is a message to reach deep into your heart. For one, to be sure that you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have given your life to God. You've stopped trusting in yourself. Now, you may have started living like the world again, and you're miserable. I can tell you, you're miserable if you're doing that. You won't have a vision. You won't be full. You'll be struggling. But God wants to pull you close back to him. He wants to show you where your life is, and that is in, it's in giving and thinking about life, not of getting, but of giving. If you're in a tough spot, just humble yourself before God and ask him what the steps should be and do them. If God's blessed you, be asking him, what do you want me to do with all this, Lord? Where do you want me to give it to? Those are the right thoughts. Those are not human thoughts. Those are, not, those are easier said than done thoughts. But they are the thoughts of the word of God. Your children will see how you are. And they'll be moved in one direction or the other, toward the world or toward God. Amen. Thank you all for your attention. I pray you have a blessed day. And let's have a closing word of prayer. Father, just thank you, God, for just your wonderful gift of Jesus Christ. It's all we need. have a little food, have a roof over our head. Anything else is just extra that we should not depend on or seek after. Just thank you for and help us to remember that and to give and to seek to give. What a blessing. That's where true blessings of a Christian are, is in giving. Now, take this message to each heart and in each situation and apply it, Lord, I pray. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.